Brock Lesnar is still the champion, but the Brock Undertaker issue is only going to get uglier from here. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Matt Manners Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host, Alo Aaron Lloyd, and today's episode is all about No Mercy 2002. As always, make sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, Stitcher, and head over to whatamaneuver.net for your Matt Madness gear and use promo code MMADNESS to save 10% off your order on Ringside Collectibles. So, 
I'm going to start this off because I'm ecstatic. Uh, congrats to the Los Angeles Lakers for winning their 17th NBA championship. Uh, I am so happy. It's It's been a rough uh, seven, six, seven years for anybody who's a legit Laker fan. And all you LeBron fans... I want let let us live. Let us live. We sat through Kendall Marshall, Ronnie Price, uh, Ryan Kelly, Robert Sacre, Tyreek Black, Tyler Ennis, and uh, Swaggy P of all people. Let us live. We give us an hour to to ourselves. Let us be happy because we deserve this. LeBron, LeBron, I thank you. His fans, I love you. You brought us the 17 championship, but let us live because we deserve it. So congratulations to the Los Angeles Lakers once again on their 17th NBA championship. I am so happy. Oh, I, I haven't felt like this in 10 years. <laughs> or, matter of fact, that's a lie. I haven't felt like this since the Eagles won the Super Bowl three years ago. But, will that be said, all, all that being said, uh, before we get into the advertised content, we're going to hit on a few things that happened on the weekly show. So, first of all, last week on Raw, Retribution. So, there's hope with Retribution. So, Mustafa Ali is revealed as the leader of Retribution, and... This breathes so much new life into this group. Uh, they like their work up to this point has been horrible, but with Ali as a leader, it has potential to revive the group. I thought the reveal was done very well, and I didn't see it coming at all because the hurt business has basically been against Ali and Ricochet and Apollo Cruz and and um, Cedric before he joined the hurt business for months, and I didn't see this coming at all. And it's gonna be real interesting to hear from Ali tomorrow or tonight, depending on when you're hearing this on Raw. And one thing I've been critical about is why are they looking for retribution, quote unquote. L- later, later in the later in the past week, Ali posted a picture on Instagram showing the different moments from each member's time in WWE or NXT and why they are quote unquote looking for retribution. The picture showed Ali reaching for the money in the bank contract. It showed Dio Madden getting F5 by Brock Lesnar. It was no, no longer on commentary, which I stated. He was the only one that actually had a gripe. It showed Dominic Djokovic getting taken out and getting taken out, and Mia Yim going through concussion protocol and Shane throwing MVP. So Ali somewhat gave a brief explanation on those pictures. So if you remember anything that happened during those pictures that Ali posted, then there's your answer right there. So it's going to be an intriguing segment on Raw tomorrow night, and I'm looking forward to it because I think Ali's really good on the microphone, and I think, like I said, this gives the group. A brand new life, and this will all come together beautifully if they harken back to the sm- hacker gimmick on SmackDown, which was reportedly supposed to be Ali the entire time. But I think that would be a great way to bring it all together. So I'm actually looking forward to that. And they do have new life. Also, this past Friday on SmackDown, we had the WWE draft. It's going to continue tomorrow night on Raw. So to Raw, we got Drew McIntyre, Asuka, AJ Styles, The Hurt Business, Naomi, Nia Jackson, Shayna Baszler, Miz and Morrison, Ricochet. Mandy Rose, Xavier Woods and Kofi Kingston, Dana Brooke, Angel Garza, Tucker, Humberto Carrillo, and Drew Gulak. To SmackDown, we have Roman Reigns, Seth Rollins, Sasha Banks, Bianca Belair, The Mysterios, Dominic and Ray, Big E, Otis, Murphy, Kalisto, and Jey Uso. So, I, told, I hit on this last week. I would love for them to kind of separate Big E from the New Day, and they did that here. And the loophole is... The, the New Day, Xavier with the Kofi Kingston, they regained the tag team titles on SmackDown last night, but they got drafted a Raw. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do with that. My personal opinion is I will offer them to unify the titles because those tag team titles in the tag team division, they basically mean nothing. And 
the company is real low on tag team. So if they want to unify those titles, I wouldn't mind it at all and just have the team end up on both shows. That will be something intriguing to actually watch. I wouldn't mind it at all. And I talked about this with Big E a few months ago, even actually when he first started his singles run and how they saw, actually how they, how they took Big E out of that triple threat match to turn into a contender because Big E versus Roman Reigns could be a bigger match down the road. So I'm actually looking forward to that. Otis and Tucker, you kind of can see it because Otis is the one who gets all the spotlight. Tucker's kind of in the background. Um, Miz and Morrison on, on Raw is something new for them. AJ Styles goes back to Raw after being traded from Raw in the middle of last year to get away from Paul Heyman, ironically. Bianca Belair on SmackDown, she needs a new start because she was hardly on Raw to begin with. They just started airing the vignette, vignettes for her. And also the Mysterios and Seth Rollins and Murphy. This is going to continue. And um, I'm glad this is going to continue for, for the Seth Rollins and Murphy match because that match needs to happen. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to that match. We got Murphy finally turn on Rollins and we got Aaliyah once again standing up for Murphy and the Mysterio family. I rate that she is standing up for Murphy saying that she can't trust him but I'm interested to see the Myster- um, the Murphy and Seth Rollins match. I'm really looking forward to that. So the draft's going to continue on SmackDown. I mean on Raw on Monday night so I'm looking forward to see what else we get there. A couple predictions. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going back to what I said last week. I think it'll be good for Daniel Bryan to, smack, to switch over to Raw. He's somebody that's been on SmackDown the entire time of this new brand split. I also thought, talked about Alice or Black or Zelina Vega. Well, they would have to go together, but I thought they could use new homes on SmackDown or if you want to move Andrade over to SmackDown solo because those two, I think they, those three, I think they've done everything they can on that show or just move them or just move somebody else over for something new for them to do. Also, maybe split up Billy Kay and Peyton Royce since you've been ha- trying to push Peyton Royce and they're not sure, really sure what they're doing with Billy Kay. So it's going to be interesting to see what they're going to do on Raw Monday, tomorrow night. A, a rumor that was out there was that Bray Wyatt gets drafted to Raw. And we'll have to wait and see about that. So a few things about Hell in a Cell. I'm really enjoying the build so far. We're getting an I Quit match inside the cell with Roman and Jey Uso. I thought Roman cut a hell of a promo on SmackDown. And I love the idea of having to say I Quit inside the cell. Because Hell in a Cell is basically him built. It's this unforgiving structure for all these years. So I like the idea of having to say, I quit. Sasha and Bailey are also official for Hell in a Cell after Bailey got disqualified in the women's title match on SmackDown, which I kind of saw coming between that or Bailey not showing up at all. And also it's official that Drew McIntyre will defend the WWE Championship against Randy Orton inside Hell in a Cell as well. So with all that being said, that's it from the weekly stuff. No Mercy 2002. If you haven't been with us before, we'll play for you our rating system. The following podcast has a rating system in place. If it's a horrible show, it gets a jobber. If the show falls somewhere in the middle, it gets a slower knocker. And if it is an amazing show, it gets the rating of ratings. It will get a show stopper. All right, thank you, Howard. So, No Mercy 2002. I'm going to give this show a high slob in our car. I really thought it was a, a really fun show. Of course, 2002, WWE was wilding. They they really were wilding at this time. Um, I thought the tag team title match, well, the WWE tag team title match, I've been talking about that match for years on this show. And I'm kind of glad I'm getting an opportunity to speak on it because that match is amazing, and I'll get to that a little bit later. Brock and the Undertaker 
a very forgotten Hell in a Cell match for me personally, and I'll also get to that a little bit later. Triple H and Kane, the story that may have killed all of Kane's mystique, is a match I really enjoyed despite the story. And SmackDown, no doubt at this time, was a superior brand of Raw. It wasn't even close at this time. The excitement that the SmackDown Superstars brought to the show was amazing. And let's get into the card right now. So, Chris Jericho and Christian, a little vitamin C. They're defending their world tag team titles against Booker T and Goldust. Two of my favorite tag teams from this non-tag team era. Once again, Vince was cold on tag team wrestling at this time. I love the contrast and styles and and personality between Booker T and Goldust. I've said this a lot before. Jericho had a funky year in the year 2002 to start the year. He was on top of the card until WrestleMania. He then falls to the mid-card and feuds with this young guy named John Cena. Wins the IC title in September. And... From October to December, he's also one half of the tag team champions with Christian. So a bumpy ride for Chris Jericho in 2002. Now there's a spot in this match where the turnbuckle collapses when Jericho goes for the lion salt. A real rough spot to actually catch. But also Jericho will recover and hit a bulldog on the tag team title belt. And hit a lion salt off the top of the turnbuckle to retain the world tag team titles with Christian. Christian and Chris Jericho... Excellent tag team, excellent chemistry. Same can go with Booker D and Goldust. Two of my favorite tag teams from this time, like I said. And then we get a backstage segment with SmackDown's number one announcer with the legend Al Wilson. And Funaki was really the number one announcer. Asking all asking Al Wilson all the hard-hitting questions. Like, why were you in the shower with the close-up with Dawn Marie? Al Legend, but we gonna throw him in the tub for that because, but R.I.P. But that, that that was terrible. If you watch this clip, you'll you'll notice that it was a very rough spot to actually see because he's really in the shower, fully clothed, and it's a real fun spot to see. If you, you might just be able to Google the picture, just to see it. Real and funny scene, and all he gets to say from this is, "I do not have sexual relations with that woman," and everybody pops, including the crowd. Really suck. Really fun segment, which leads into Dawn Marie versus Tori Wilson. And with this match, I'll just say this. They tried. <laughs> Tori gets the win with a neck breaker, and this will lead to some interesting things, I can actually say, in the upcoming months, including Dawn Marie and Tori Wilson. There's also one spot in this story where one night Al's out of town and Dawn's feeling a little bit lonely. And, and slips Tory Wilson a hotel room key. And I do have Armageddon 2002 on the docket, which that occurs at. But from what I've heard, that segment has been taken off the network. So we won't get to see that. But a, an 11-year-old Alo was happy to see that segment in 2002. We then cut to RVD backstage in between Ric Flair before their match. The only way RVD can. And we also get The Undertaker's alleged mistress, Tracy, saying she wants Undertaker back and we're going to Talk about Tracy in a little bit. because Oh, God. We can talk about Tracy a little bit. That leads into Rick Flair versus RVD. Now, this match is happening basically because of Rick Flair crossing RVD, the world title, at Unforgiven the previous month. I personally didn't think this match, these, this match worked at all. When you see these two, even though it's a contrast in styles, you would think this match would a little, be a little bit more fun, but it really wasn't. I, it was just a contrast in styles. Really, they, they did not work well together at all and RVD gets the win with a 5 star frog splash and uh, talking about foreshadowing we get the big show talking backstage to Stephen McMahon about how he feels he's underutilized on Raw and Eric Bischoff walks in and Big Show threatens saying to Eric Bischoff 
he should be in main events, and he hasn't been on pay-per-view since July in Vengeance. And we all know what happens the following month. Big Show jumps to SmackDown and wins the WWE title from Brock Lesnar at the Survivor Series. That episode is also available in our archives. One of my favorite episodes that we actually done on the show. You can even listen to Unforgiven 2002, which we've also done as well. Two fun shows. We then get an excellent video package about the history of the Intercontinental title, which was being re- retired momentarily, but was one of the dumbest things WWE would ever do. The belt will return at Judgment Day the following May, but an excellent video package on the lineage of the IC title with some of the controversial decisions, the workhorses that held the championship, a really good video package. I would also recommend everybody seeking out. That goes into the Cruiserweight Championship match, Jamie Noble versus Tajiri. Jamie Noble will retain the Cruiserweight title. Jamie Noble and Nidia is such an underrated pairing, as I always say, and nobody ever really brings them up. They embody the gimmick of Trailer Park Trash. Noble just selling, yeah boy, Jamie Noble boy, <laughs> one of my favorite things. And the same could be said about Tajiri. Tajiri doesn't really talk, get talked about a lot either. And I also think he's underrated, especially with the ability of him not really to be able to speak English, but he can he's able to get over with an American audience in an entertaining way. So I, I do feel Tajiri's the same way. Noble gets the win with a roll-up after Nidia is holding down Tajiri's leg. Tajiri then uh, lays one on Nidia, <laughs> who, who actually loved it. And uh, Jamie Noble said, Hey, boy, that's my girlfriend, boy. Let me show you how it's done, boy. Hey, he gives Nidia a kiss, and Tajiri knocks them both out. Really fun match and a really fun segment. I said, Jamie Noble and Nidia, two of the funnest people in during this Ruthless Aggression era. Backstage, we get Chris Benoit telling Eddie Guerrero that something's happened in Chavo. And Eddie Guerrero's reaction in this segment is priceless. He, I might throw it in right here so you can actually hear it because it's absolutely hilarious. He's like, you think I'm stupid, Hans? That's not Chavito. That's a little go. Let's say, if I can, I'm gonna throw it in. very fun segment and the reason this is happening is because this happened to Benoit and Angle on Smackdown the week prior and Benoit and Angle they're getting revenge on them Eddie thought they were joking but it was really child getting beat up by Kurt Angle in the room so a really fun segment and these guys that segment was just really fun I really did enjoy it and that leads into Triple H versus Kane winner take all IC title versus the world title now, I brought this up early in the show, how this story killed all of Kane's mystique and created a bunch of plot holes in Kane's story. And also, this was controversial because this was this storyline because it was even brought up in Linda McMahon's campaign run a few years back. And on an episode of Bruce Pritchard's Something to Wrestle, he talks about the controversial segment of Triple H inside the casket with a dead body, <laughs> allegedly, and... He talks about how Hunter and Bruce didn't want to do it, but Vince said, hey, let's do it our way first, and we'll do it our way. And then they ran out of time, 
and weren't able to shoot Bruce and Triple H's way. And that's the segment. That's the segment they had to go with, which was Vince's idea. So that's the segment we got because of Vince McMahon. Triple H and Bruce Prichard did not want to do it. So, the actual match. I thought the beginning of the match was a bit slow and the crowd was dead for it. But around Kane's comeback and Ric Flair's interference, this became a really good match. When Kane returned in 2002, he came back leaner and they really let the chains off him. He was really flying around in 2002. And the crowd really got into this. We got interference from the Hurricane, his tag team partner, at that time, he took a rough pedigree from Triple H on the outside. Triple H gets the win with the sledgehammer shot and a French from Ric Flair and a pedigree. And like I said, the titles will be unified. The United title will return in May of the following year. And like I said, this kind of killed the aura of Kane. And not everybody really saw him as a big red machine anymore. And like I said, it created so many plot holes in his story, showing him so vulnerable actually caring about someone. So, also, next backstage, Stephanie asked Tracy to meet her woman to woman <laughs> and asked for confidentiality between the two in front of cameras, by all by all means. Get the fuck out of here, Tracy. Confidential, confidentiality in front of cameras. But we'll let that, we'll let that, we'll let that go. Uh, she then admits that Heyman put her up to it and Stephanie tells her to get out the offers and Undertaker calls her a lying bitch, which is re- which is a really fun segment. That leads into the WWE Ch- Tag Team Championship match. Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit defeat Edge and Rey Mysterio to become the first ever WWE Tag Team Champions. Now, I've been championing this match for years as maybe the best straight-up tag team match ever. And I still want somebody to challenge me on that because this still stands the test of time. You have four members of the SmackDown 6, and nobody was more exciting to watch in 2002 than these four men. We had the story of Stephanie telling Benoit and Angle that they need to get along. If they don't get along, that they'll be suspended a year without pay. And Benoit and Angle, they always had amazing chemistry. And when this match gets going, it really gets going. Angle damn near throws right across the ring for the belly belly suplex. And the false finishes in this match were... Unbelievable. Edge throws Mysterio over his head into a Hurricane Rana, which Benoit breaks up with, with a headbutt off the count, which he misses Edge and hits Angle. Even Benoit locking in the crippler crossface and Mysterio hitting a 619 on Benoit with the crossface locked in. And the match ends when Edge has an ankle lock on Angle. Angle reverses it to his own ankle lock, which forces Edge to tap out. If there's anything you watch this week, I think this needs to be it. Edge and Mysterio would eventually win the titles a few weeks later in a two out of three falls match, which I will also highly recommend. And this era of the SmackDown 6 will culminate the next month at Survivor Series when all six members will compete in a triple threat tag team title match, which the Guerreros would end up end up winning. Backstage, we then have a shot of the Undertaker in the trainer's office. He's telling the doctor to shoot him up, and the doctor refuses to take refuses to shoot him up, and Taker says... If you don't shoot me up, I'm going to do it my damn self. And I really enjoyed this segment because it shows the, the determination of the Undertaker to actually get this done and actually wrestle this match and how important it is to him. So I really did actually enjoy that because a lot of, that's what a lot of athletes do actually do. They'll be in so much pain, but they'll actually shoot themselves up before the match or the game to actually get themselves going. So I really did enjoy that aspect of it. The women's championship was on the line. Trish Stratus would defeat Victoria. Great story between these two with their past as fitness models, but there's not much here for me. They have a hell of a match in a hardcore stipulation in next month at the Survivor Series. So I, I, I recommend watching that. 
but there's not much here. Trish gets to win with the roll-up to retain her women's championship. Rikishi's at the Mecca, WWF New York, tossing around, well, talking about his experience with the Undertaker and Hell in a Cell and what he went through being pushed up the cell at Armageddon in 2002 and all the injuries that he actually went through during that match. And that will lead us into Brock Lesnar and Undertaker for the WWE Championship. Brock gets the win here. And I often think, I often think this match is a forgotten Hell in a Cell match in history. And I remember watching this as a kid. <clears throat> and I didn't like this match as a kid in 2002 because Hell in a Cell matches were rare at this point in time. And we were accustomed to just about every Hell in a Cell match. They go on the outside and up on the top of the cage. If you didn't do that in that match, the match was trash to, to, to any young kid. <clears throat> but in retrospect, I thought this match was really awesome. And I'm going to put it in a category as you need to watch this as well because the storytelling in this match was perfect. It's storytelling at its finest. And the push Brock got in 2002 was amazing in retrospect as well. Like, I remember when Stephanie said it's going to be a Hell in a Cell match, I said to myself, all right, Undertaker's winning no matter what. He's winning because Hell in a Cell is known as his element. There's no way he's going to lose his match. Hell in a Cell was the Undertaker's match. And when he did, I was in complete shock. Because once again, I'm on 11 year old little Mark, and I'm losing my. I'm like, I can't believe it. And that's how you build a superstar. They do it. They do it to an extent today, but that's how you build somebody. This new guy beating somebody in their element, and that's how you actually get him somebody, get somebody over. And early in this match, you see Taker from the jump. He's using his cast as a weapon. That would play into the story with the whole broken hand and how Paul and Brock didn't want. Taker to be able to use the cats in the match, but Stephanie allowed him to use the cats in the match. And there's an if there's an MVP to this match, it's Paul Heyman because he's constantly yelling and shouting. Taker Taker even takes out Heyman with a boot through the cage, and is slamming him <laughs> through the slamming him through the cage by pulling him with his tie. And Heyman even gets color in this match if you can believe it. And he's laying on the ground for the rest of the match, calling yelling out Brock's name. And Brock takes control of this match. Finally, after Taker's done with Heyman, with a flapjack through the cell and a few vicious steel chair shots, I mean, steel step shots, which were rough to see, and Taker starts leaking profusely. <clears throat> Brock then takes Taker's cast off, and Taker starts fighting back, even hits a chokeslam with a broken hand, which is pretty impressive. Brock kicks out of the chokeslam. Brock's in the corner, punching the Undertaker. Taker counters into a last ride, and Brock kicks out. And... The way this match ends is really impressive to me. One of the most impressive things I've seen Brock do is Taker's going for the tombstone. Brock counters, flips out, flips Taker into position for F5 for the win. And Brock goes onto the top of the cell and raises the championship to end the show and show that he emerges victorious. And I thought that was a great way to end the show. And like I said, a hell of a year of 2002. And it's like when you see that image of him on the top of the cell... You say to yourself, who the hell is going to beat this guy? But we know where this goes next month at Survivor Series with the Big Show and Paul Heyman turning on him. And logically, the Big Show is really the only person that should have been able to beat Brock Lesnar because he was twice his size. But who was, but, but that shot at the top of the cell was just an incredible lasting image to end the show. So that's it for No Mercy 2002. Next week, we're gonna I'm going to go out of my... Ordinary next week's all about TNA Bound for Glory 2009. So I'm going to fire up the Impact Plus app for the first time and talk about that. <coughs> we got AJ Styles and Sting at the top for the world title. So I'm interested in actually watching this for the first time because I'm going into this show with a whole blank slate 
at Blank Slate. So I'm looking forward to watching this show next week. So as always, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, and Stitcher. Leave us a five-star review. Head over to What a Movie Right Net for your Matt Madness gear. And use promo code MMADNESS at Ringside Collectibles to save 10% off your order. So for the sh- that's it for the show. I'm Alo Aaron Lloyd, and I will see you guys next week. Talking all of this madness. They talking all of they talking all of they hop on the top rope by the land with his elbow. Got him now, put him down right now, hit him with the palm handle. Tuning up the band, y'all don't understand. Fist of Superman, it's a summer slam. Here we go again. Fans mocking man, man, I hate my balls. Shut the mission, man. It ain't safe to land off the cell. Fans love it, ain't hard to tell. Talking madness, awesome. Well, what I'm cooking, man, y'all awesome.